Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Ellis. Well, good morning. It is Wednesday, August 23rd. And for the politicos out there, uh, this is the first GOP presidential debate tonight. Um, But if you are a normal person like me, today is also pumpkin spice latte day. And and that, I mean, I don't know which I'm actually more excited for (laughs) because pumpkin spice latte day every Uh, Every year annually is really a holiday that I just genuinely believe we should all celebrate. And I am celebrating this morning uh, with my pumpkin spice latte and everything pumpkin. And we're going into this wonderful fall season. Uh, But no, seriously, going into uh, the presidential debate tonight, eight presidential candidates have qualified for that first Republican debate. Top among them, of course, uh, is Donald Trump, who has decided that He will not attend the debate tonight. And according to his Truth Social post, uh, he says debates plural. So that likely indicates that he plans to skip all of the debates and whether or not uh, that will ultimately affect his polling numbers or the uh, the Iowa caucuses or uh, these first states that will be leading into Super Tuesday early next year is really the question. And how much of Donald Trump will be on the stage tonight when you have the seven other candidates who are talking about why they want to seek the Republican nomination. Will they totally ignore uh, Donald Trump? Will they have an event uh, basically like what was held in Iowa with the forum uh, with Tucker Carlson that a lot of people leaving uh, Iowa said, look, we can have a GOP event that does not have Donald Trump on the stage. So uh, these are going to be very interesting questions. Uh, But of course, the next front runner, uh, according not only just to the polls, which you all know, I don't really pay much attention to because polls are like expert witnesses that you can put on the stand in court. Uh, Depending on who you ask, you get a totally different answer. And your expert is your expert. Your poll is your poll, depending on whether they serve your individual interests and purposes. I think that polls uh, can be manipulated. And so I don't put a lot of faith or stock into those. Um, So I do believe that Ron DeSantis is a lot closer to uh, Donald Trump in terms of the actual a vote than the polls might suggest. Uh, but joining me now to talk more about this is Robert Salvador. He is the CEO of a tech company and a media surrogate for Governor Ron DeSantis, supporting him for president. So good morning, Robert. Thanks so much for joining me. Hey, Jenna. Happy to be here. And uh, thanks for having me. It's an exciting day and excited to get into it with you. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is an exciting day and one that uh, we should all as voters and as Americans who are concerned about our country and about its trajectory. And of course, the primary is for the purpose of selecting the best possible candidate and champion. Uh, What do you believe that Governor Ron DeSantis needs to do tonight to continue to close that gap, uh, whether or not it's in the polling or just in the perception of the American voter's mind? Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, think 
first of all, you know, what you said is spot on. The polls right now, they pretty much mean nothing. You know, they can be manipulated. I love how you said it. Uh, it's kind of like an expert witness. You know, you can easily think of a poll as a leading question, especially this early on. You know, it really is the first inning of a baseball game. So I think, um, one, you know, the polls don't have a lot of, you know, credit that you can give to them right now. You know, many people have talked about how Mike Huckabee and Ted Cruz, who, you know, obviously performed really well in Iowa in the past, were polling in single digits at this point. You know, if you look in, you know, previous um, elections and, you know, things of the past. So I don't put a lot of weight in the polls right now. As far as, you know, what should you expect from the governor? I personally think, you know, it's a really good opportunity for him to kind of introduce himself on the national stage, especially his record, and really show, you know, that he is a candidate, you know, who is doing the things that he says he is going to do. He's draining the swamp in Florida. You know, he's got Florida buzzing and humming economically. It's safe in Florida. You know, when bad things happen, like natural disasters and Hurricane Ian, they rebuild things down there. So I think the biggest thing is going to be really just showing his record to people who might not be engaged in politics quite yet. You know, like I said, it's really the first inning of a baseball game. So this is the first chance that the governor will have to really come out Um, stand on his record. And I think, you know, in my personal opinion, as someone who has voted for Trump before, this is the opportunity for the governor, for Governor DeSantis to say, I am providing the results. I am draining the swamp when I say I'm going to do it, you know, getting rid of these Soros DAs, but also show that he is a great candidate without the baggage. So, you know, anyone who hears the governor talk, and I'm sure, Jenna, you know, you know this, um, you know, you've talked extensively about it, is usually impressed by his you know, command of the subject matter and of the issues that matter to the American people. So I think that's a really exciting opportunity tonight to just really show more of the American people who might not be paying attention to politics yet or who might just know Donald Trump's name, you know, from the last 20 years, what Governor DeSantis has to offer. And so I think it'll be an exciting night and um, I think he'll perform really well like he always does. I'm talking with Robert Salvador, who is a, a CEO of a tech company and a surrogate for Governor DeSantis in his presidential campaign. And I do think, uh, Robert, that this is an opportunity for Governor DeSantis to come on the stage and really give uh, the American people who haven't heard a lot about him or maybe have only heard some of the negative things and some of the uh, false smear attacks and uh, and all of those things that uh, has been levied against him and, and to truly impress uh, the American people with his command and knowledge of the Constitution, the executive branch, his track record and his history. It's always surprising to me that a lot of people don't know some of his background. They know him as the Florida governor. They maybe know that he's the one going after Disney, but that's about it. Um, They don't know that he was a congressman. He helped found the Freedom Caucus. He was a JAG officer. He's been um, a United States military veteran. I mean, really his entire life in service dedicated to this country. Um, so, so all of that is in favor of him. But the one criticism, genuinely, that I think is holding him back from resonating with the American people—it's not personality. I mean, Donald Trump obviously has that in spades. Everybody who knows him um, personally loves him, and and that's just that's who he is. Genuinely, he really connects with people. I don't actually think that that's Ron DeSantis's problem. One of the things that I truly think is holding his campaign back overall 
is his messaging style because he is so wonky. And, and I think that's a great thing. Um, as a lawyer, as somebody who loves the Constitution, I get it. I love substantive policy analysis. But when he's on a space with Elon Musk and he's talking to a bunch of millennials that are tuning into a space and he starts talking about Chevron deference, for example, without really defining that or what that means <laughs> or how that applies to our lives, uh, that doesn't really resonate with people. And so I think that he needs to learn better how to speak more in talking points and uh, digestible information that the American people can readily consume. So do you think that he's going to change his style a little bit coming into the debate or are we going to get more of uh, the kind of wonkiness that he has so far provided? Sure. You know, so I think one of the things that might make his communication easier to understand or follow is just looking directly at the issues, because I do agree, you know, obviously he's very intelligent. He understands the legal aspects of things. And, you know, from that perspective, I think it's important because I think it speaks to the reason he's getting things done in Florida. You know, we talk about, unfortunately, you know, I was one of the people who was all for draining the swamp in 2016. Um, but, you know, here in 2023, the swamp is undoubtedly, you know, more powerful than it's ever been. So the bad thing, you know, might be that it's not always easy to follow the governor's communication as far as, you know, the legal aspect and his legal understanding of things. But the good part is he understands the legal levers, the legislative levers, the governance levers, that need to be pulled in order to actually do these things that he promises. You know, for example, firing, you know, two Soros-backed corrupt DAs down in Florida. So one thing is I think he'll lean into the issues which are pretty easy to understand, which is that, you know, the state of the United States is in decline. You know, economically, we are in a really bad place. Culturally, all these things are happening in our schools and, you know, around the country that we've never seen before. The military is in a state of disarray. So. I think if he leans more into the issues, talks about things that are resonating with people every day, you know, millennials are feeling the squeeze of inflation every day in their pocketbook or in their wallet. You know, uh, even things, issues that might matter to millennials, um, I think the governor is having a good response. You know, millennials very much appreciate and are into technology like artificial intelligence, cryptocurrency, and the governor has taken good positions um, you know, saying that he will nurture new technology and bring business home, whereas the current administration is obviously pushing all of that overseas and trying to, you know, handicap an entire industry. So I do think the governor, you know, resonates really well with people who are going through these issues. Now, as far as being more simple, I definitely think it's something he is going to be doing um, on the debate stage. I think he understands, you know, we have to remember that the governor has only been legally allowed to talk about being the president for three, four months now. Whereas, you know, Donald Trump, who I'll admit is a great talker, he's been, you know, schmoozing people and basically being in the spotlight for 20 years politically and 50 years if you're just talking, you know, his general life. So I think it's just a matter of refining Governor DeSantis's message. Uh, his results are obviously, you know, very clear, clear as day. As a tech person, you know, I especially believe in what he's doing, you know, on a smaller scale in Florida can be applied at a national scale in the White House. So I think it would be in his best interest. And I do think he'll he'll give some more simple messaging tonight. Um, but at the end of the day, 
you know, whether or not, you know, we're using vernacular and, you know, words that might not, um, you know, be everyday words for, for me and you, um, you know, I do think that the issues are pretty clear. And I think the governor's record on those issues is clear and he'll be able to differentiate himself tonight on the debate stage with his proven record on those issues. And I'm talking with Robert Salvador, who is the CEO of a tech company and a media surrogate for Governor Ron DeSantis. And in just the last uh, two minutes I have with you here, Robert, and I appreciate your analysis and perspective. You mentioned that you are a former uh, Trump voter, that you were all for draining the, tw- the swamp in 2016. And going back to the polls, I, I do think that one of the things that the polls are not showing at all is intensity in terms of people who are currently in Donald Trump's camp because he's had the, the the presence and, and dominated the party for the last uh, about you know eight years, and so um, so what caused you to make that conversion from being a Trump supporter to being a Governor Ron DeSantis supporter? Sure. Well, I mean, I think in 2016 and the years you know since then, we all thought that we needed this rogue, this maverick, this um, you know what really kind of ended up being a circus. But, you know, we thought that Trump was going to come in here, drain the swamp, you know, get rid of the national debt, build the wall, do all these different things that, you know, even though his style may not have been, you know, perfect, he was going to get things done. At least that's how he campaigned. But unfortunately, none of those things happened. And like I said earlier, if the general high level objective above everything for Donald Trump was to drain the swamp or weaken the swamp, Well, almost 10 years later, the swamp is stronger than ever. You know, the country was given over to Anthony Fauci, who is as deep state as it gets. You know, the person currently prosecuting Donald Trump is someone he could have fired. So to me, I think I was excited for the maverick, for the outsider, but the bite didn't match the bark. And so now I think the world and the United States, you know, which is clearly in decline, is in a place where we don't need the circus anymore. You know, you even look at all of the Trump surrogates who are showing up at this debate, and I saw, you know, a a sitting congresswoman had a bingo card um, of, uh, I saw it on Twitter last night, had a bingo card of things making fun of Ron DeSantis. And it's like, are we a serious country at this point? These are serious times, and we need serious people. And to me, the circus just won't work. It hasn't worked. But then you look at someone like Ron DeSantis, who is running on the same issues, as Donald Trump did, who is actually delivering on those issues, delivering on those promises. And that's why I feel, and again, he doesn't have the baggage yeah. like Donald Trump has. So Yeah, well, Robert Salvador, thanks so much yeah. for uh, your analysis this morning. And I agree, we need to be very serious if we are serious about this country, focused on the primary and focused on the then, ultimately, the general in 2024. We have to have to save America. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we are talking about the presidential debate tonight. It is the first of the GOP primary, and it has been highly anticipated. And uh, in the last segment, we had a surrogate for the Governor DeSantis campaign. And just so all the listeners know, we do uh, have invitations extended uh, for other campaigns to put on their spokespersons and surrogates. My good friend, Liz Harrington, who is a spokesperson for uh, President Trump and his campaign, would have come on, but 
she just had a second baby and I'm so excited for her. So we will have her on as soon as she can. And uh, so I do want to make sure that we cover um, all angles of this. And so joining me now is my good friend, Liz Wheeler, who is the host of the Liz Wheeler Show. And she has a brand new book that is coming out soon called Hide Your Children, Exposing the Marxists Behind the Attack on America's Kids. I definitely want to get into that as well. But Liz, uh, first, good morning. And your overall thoughts on the GOP uh, debate tonight and what um, each of the candidates have to do in order to maybe possibly close the gap with the front runner, Donald Trump. Hi, Jenna. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, that's a tough question that you pose because I'm not sure that any of them on the stage tonight have the possibility to close the gap between them and Donald Trump. I will be watching. I will confess. I will be watching the debate. I will also be watching the Tucker-Trump interview at the same time, which I suspect will be more interesting um, than the debate. Listen, I don't blame Trump for not going to the debate, not so much because he doesn't want to dignify his competitors with a response. I don't think that's necessarily a valid reason, but primarily because the rules of the debate are somewhat unfair. The RNC trying to force all the candidates to sign these pledges that they'll support each other if one of them gets the nomination and sharing campaign and voter data. And then, of course, Fox News, you probably saw this being in the media, Fox News circulated this document to media figures telling them that we're essentially not allowed to air debate excerpts after the debate. Um, It has to be under three minutes and can only be within the next seven days, which is pretty bizarre to me because it, it, it makes it so we can't really talk about the debate afterward in the media. But listen, if we're talking about the eight candidates that are on that stage, what they need to do is refrain from attacking each other. It's fine to compare and contrast, but they need to remember that the actual political enemy in this country is the Joe Biden administration, that Joe Biden is a very bad man. He's not just senile. He's not just a joke. He's a very bad man that makes decisions that harm the American people and other people around the world. So they need to focus on COVID. This this election should be a referendum on all of the tyrannical things that were imposed on us in the name of COVID. It should be a referendum on the transgender ideology, which people on both sides of the aisle, not just diehard Republicans, find repulsive and do not want indoctrinated into our children. And it should be focused on Hunter Biden corruption. There was a poll done by the Media Research Center after the last election that found that something like 17 percent of Democrats would have changed their mind and not voted for Joe Biden had they known about the Hunter Biden laptop, which was uh, hidden from them by the FBI and by that, the FBI's collusion with big tech. If these candidates focus on hammering those three points, they will they will be a lot more successful than if they're up there engaging a little tit for tat with each other. And I actually, I totally agree with you, uh, Liz Wheeler, host of the Liz Wheeler Show, fantastic uh, show and commentary, uh, that the the candidates on the stage really do need to focus on the enemy, which is the insane liberal left and the current Biden administration that has targeted conservatives, that has uh, attempted to dismantle our institutions of government and undermine our civil society through all of this cultural Marxism. I and mean, we could go on and on and on about all of these things. So what do you make of Donald Trump, who has spent more money, um, I, I think it's something like $20 million attacking his political opponent, Ron DeSantis, instead of only about $9 million, according to the last report that I read, um, that he actually attacked Joe Biden. I mean, shouldn't that also apply to him? And, and is that hurting him, do you think, in the perception of American voters' minds? 
That's not how I would spend that money if I were Donald Trump. I mean, listen, if I were advising him, I would tell him to do the exact same thing. It's fine to compare and contrast. We do as voters. I mean, you, you probably feel the same way that I do, Jenna. I do want to know the difference between these candidates, where they stand on different positions. That can be done without tearing each other down. It can be done just by essentially vying for the role. I have not appreciated how Donald Trump has um, thrown these visceral attacks at DeSantis. I think it's a waste of time. I don't think it matters. Um, I think he should be focused on, on Joe Biden, especially given all of the indictments and all of the weaponization of law enforcement. I mean, he, he has an opportunity uh, for better or for worse, given the fact that he is the political target of the Biden administration and the Biden administration's allies to expose this to the American people. And again, it's not just Republicans that care about it. Democrat voters might not be as loud as we are about it because they don't want to openly agree with a Republican, but people have an inherent sense of morality. I say this in my book that we all still have this gut feeling, this conscience that's instilled in us by God. And we have this inherent ability to discern what is right and what is wrong, even if sometimes people might have a hard time defining it. And a lot of people in this nation, especially Democrat voters, still have this conscience. It's why they can point to critical race theory. And even if they don't know the Marxist origins, they can say it's bad and wrong for their children to be taught that they're racist if they're white or they're oppressed if they're black. It's why they can point to the transgender ideology and say, no, it's wrong for my kindergartner, first grader, second grader, and third grader to be told that they can be a boy if they want to be or a girl if they want to be, even if they don't know all of the other details about the transgender ideology and the profiteering industry. These same people can point to these indictments of Donald Trump and say, this smells fishy. This seems like a political attack. And if I were Trump, that's where I would focus my my money and my campaign. I would be trying to win over the people whose votes are unsure Republicans support President Trump by and large. That's fine. Most of us, even those of us who may not support him in the primary. I mean, I know there's there's a percentage of people who want DeSantis or who want Vivek Ramaswamy. Most people ultimately are going to vote for the Republican nominee. But what about those swing voters? It's swing voters that oftentimes win elections. If I'm the front runner in the Republican not in the Republican uh, race, which Trump is, I focus on trying to win them over using issues that I know matter to them. And really well said, Liz Wheeler, and and I could not agree more. And I think that that exact same analysis uh, can be be put across the board to the the GOP candidates who. Uh, yes, they. the rest of them who are not Donald Trump are in technically in opposition to him, right? But everyone at the end of the day is a Republican on that stage. They're a conservative, and hopefully they share some same fundamental uh, values. And so as we first discussed, the ultimate uh, enemy would be the people who are trying to tear down this country. And one of the criticisms, frankly, that I have of Governor DeSantis um, that, that I think actually Vivek Ramaswamy is doing a very good job at is being is that Vivek is is able to run against Trump without uh, just totally ignoring the weaponization of government that's happening against Donald Trump as the former president. And it seems like Governor DeSantis, and especially with all of the the marketing and other you know emails and text messages and all of those things that I get because I'm on everybody's list because I want to know what's going on. Um, it, it's like he's just totally ignoring it. And, and to me, this is a huge opportunity for everyone who is not Donald Trump 
to say, let's come together as a nation and pray for this nation and actually be a leader instead of just totally ignoring something that may, in their political consultant's view, damage their campaign. I personally, and I'd love to know uh, your take on this, Liz Wheeler, uh, I would love to see Governor DeSantis address this head on and not be um, concerned about how that may play in terms of optics that he is specifically and and intentionally condemning the weaponization of government even against his political opponent. Exactly. And I did a piece on the Liz Wheeler show last week where I broke down the statement that Governor DeSantis had released after um, the Georgia Fulton County indictment of Donald Trump. And I said, listen, I don't understand exactly why DeSantis is taking this tactic because he opens the video by saying, I haven't read the indictment in full, but here's my 100-foot view of it. And I said, first of all, I don't believe that. We've all read the indictment in full. This is, And if you haven't, you're being negligent in not reading it because this is, what, like it or not, this is one of the most important and critical events in modern American political history. This is one of the events that's going to decide the course of the future of our nation. And I know it's happening, you know, DeSantis, I know it's happening to your ostensible political opponent, but it doesn't matter. This is so much bigger than a Republican primary. Listen, I view the primary not like a competition for president the way that I would view, you know, Trump versus Biden. I view it as teammates vying for a spot on a relay, right? If there's four spots and everyone wants the number, the fastest spot, the number one spot, which is the anchor. They're still all teammates at the end of the day. So, yeah, you can try to beat each other out for the best spot, but you don't do that by injuring another, injuring a teammate and making it so that they're too incapacitated to take that position. You just outperform them. You outperform them so that the coach can see that you're the better, that you're the better person for the position. And, of course, voters in this scenario are, are the coach. We pick the candidate, but... Um, yes, I also agree with what you said. Vivek has done a very good job at running against President Trump without attacking him. I don't, I don't care for how DeSantis, the moment that he announced his, his candidacy, I don't care for the fact that he launched what I would call a series of petty attacks. He doesn't need to do that. That's the thing. There's, there's so much obvious comparing and contrasting that we, the voters, can do just based on how the Trump administration handled COVID in year four of his presidency versus how DeSantis handled COVID as governor of Florida. Like, all you have to do is run uh, very, not benign, but very comparison ads, and people understand it perfectly. There's no need to get in, into petty personal attacks. That's been something that I don't think has benefited anyone in the Republican primary. And what I don't want to see tonight, Jenna, is I don't want to see the two candidates at the center of the stage, which are Vivek and DeSantis, I don't want to see them up there exchanging barbs. I just want to see them forward facing. Maybe I'm an idealist. Maybe this is too much to expect or ask, but I just want to see them hammer uh, Joe Biden. Yeah. And, and Liz Wheeler, I, I completely agree with you because I think that so many Americans, if we're all conservatives and we are all on the same team at the end of the day, then we're tired of these these petty politics. We have so much more that is going on in our nation right now. I mean, if we if we look at the last, um, you know, almost four years of the Biden administration, that has been uh, just an absolute disaster on so many levels in terms of politics policy, in terms of you know, foreign policy, domestic policy, everything, uh, then that's what I would love to see as well from the candidates to say, this is the, the direction that I want to lead America instead of being so focused on petty politics. And it seems like some of these 
um, consultants in advising their candidate and and particularly Governor DeSantis's campaign, it almost seems like he's running a campaign in like the early 90s or the 80s, where I'm thinking yeah. this is not what people care about today, especially the millennial voter. I'm an older millennial. Um, you and I, I think, are, are roughly in the same age category. And then, and, you know, down into the Gen Zers who are um, who are old enough to vote. I mean, these are not things that that people care about to say, well, you know, I'm going to work harder than anybody else. It's like, okay, that, you know, that reminds me of like a button or a bumper sticker literally from the 80s. I want to see candidates who are willing to not exchange barbs. And maybe, like you said, that's idealistic. But I think that we should be idealists. And I think we should expect more from our candidates. Um, But in just the last few minutes I have with you, uh, Liz, and I so appreciate your analysis and your steadfastness for conservative principles and your encouragement to your audience all the time uh, to be steadfast in the principles of God and truth. Um, I, you've written this this brand new book that I'm very excited to read called Hide Your Children, Exposing the Marxists Behind the Attack on America's Kids. What is this about and how can people uh, get a hold of this book? Yeah, thank you so much for bringing this up. This is, I've spent a lot of time working on this book. It's coming out at the end of September. So you can go to hideyourchildrenbook.com and pre-order your copy now. It'll be in your mailbox in just a couple of weeks. This book is basically two parts, Jenna. The first part is um, I name the names of the people and the organizations behind the capture of our institutions, which would be the media, the education system, a lot of our religious institutions, the law and behind the attempt to destroy the nuclear family. So I actually named the names of the people in the organization who are attacking our children through the capture of these institutions, because I propose the idea that if we don't recognize the reality of the political enemy that we face, we won't fight well against that enemy and we won't win. I want to win. You want to win. Everyone listening to the show wants to win. So I, I, I name the names. They're Marxists. It's, it's, once you see this, you can't unsee this. But Jenna, it's not even the first half of this book that I'm the proudest of. I'm proudest of the second half of this book. Because what I do in the second half of the book is I offer a solution that I will tell you right up front is different than the solution the Republican Party offers for how we can retake our institutions and how we can protect our children um, from assault, which we need to do for the sake of their individual souls, but also because if we allow our children to be captured by the left, then our nation is done. So the second half of the book, I challenge conservatives and the Republican apparatus to think differently about one of the most important questions that we've simply forgotten to think about, and that is we think of ourselves as a free nation, right? But what does that mean? What does freedom actually mean? Is freedom the ultimate goal or is freedom the means to something greater? Because if freedom is the ultimate goal, then David French is correct that Drag Queen Story Hour is a blessing of liberty because those men dressed, those transgender strippers gyrating in front of children have the freedom to do that. But you and I know that that's not, there's no inherent morality in that. That's immoral. That's grotesque. That's evil. So freedom must be the means to something greater. And I challenge conservatives to think about what is that something greater? And I offer them an answer to what is that something greater and how we actually codify that into the legal structure, the foundation of our country. And I challenge conservatives to understand that if we don't do that, we will never win the culture wars that are being waged against our children because the Republican Party has tried the other way for the last 50 years and it has gotten us to the chaos that we are in now. 
Well, the book is Hide Your Children. The author is my dear friend, Liz Wheeler. It's from Regnery. Uh, com, and you can also go to hideyourchildrenbook.com. Follow Liz Wheeler on X at Liz underscore Wheeler. And we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we are talking about the first of the GOP presidential debates that will be airing tonight. And simultaneously with those eight candidates who have qualified on the stage, uh, President Trump has recorded and and apparently pre-recorded an interview with Tucker Carlson that is going to air. And uh, like Liz Wheeler, who was on in the last segment, uh, I will be watching both. I think that both are important uh, for the American people to watch and certainly uh, anyone who will be voting in the GOP primary. And uh, what is fascinating to me um, in particular about the entire scope of the debate is that it's been really interesting interesting to see how these candidates are um, who are not Donald Trump are having to run in an era that the weaponization of government is specifically targeting President Trump and and now um, other people and obviously uh, myself included. Um, I think everyone who is listening now is is well aware that I was named um, along with President Trump in the Georgia indictment and um, and so I don't say this though just uh, because I was named. I think that um, this has been true and I've been saying this since the first indictment in New York um, that came out and and since the the uh, FBI raid of Mar-a-Lago with all of the classified document um, analysis and, and all of that, that um, this is a, a turning point in America's history where we're seeing the weaponization of government against uh, their political opponents in a way that is fundamentally unconstitutional, it's un-American, and it is attempting to criminalize um, in my case, the practice of law um, and 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 criminalize um, conduct of a former president that has never before happened in America's history. So honestly, I feel a little bit bad for the other candidates because how do you run a campaign that is forward facing and future facing when you have this really giant story that I think Liz Wheeler is right. Um, is is one of the most important political events happening in modern America his, American history. You have to address that, and and how you do that. Well, it'll be very interesting uh, tonight to see. But um, my good friend Jay Seculo, who of course is the head of the ACLJ and a phenomenal uh, attorney, he was personal counsel uh, to President Trump through most of uh, his administration, and of course he and I um, overlapped in that role from the first impeachment onward. Uh, he joined my good friend John Solomon on the Just the News podcast to give his analysis of the overall scope of these four indictments. And I want you to listen to this because I think his um, analysis is is very well said and from someone who is um, just as, as phenomenal of a lawyer as he is, this analysis I think is important for you to hear. So this is Jay Seculo on with John Solomon and Amanda Head. 
We're very lucky, Amanda, to be joined on the phone uh, by uh, one of the former lawyers for President Trump, mm -hmm. Jay Sekulow. He was there during impeachment, there during Russia collusion. He saw a lot of these narratives go into reversal. And we're going to get his take on these new documents that we're making public tonight. Uh, Jay, great to have you. I know you're joining us by phone. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You've had a little bit of time to go through what we've turned up. These are things that are made available via FOIA. Some of them were turned over belatedly to the United States Senate. Your first top line take, compared to what we were told in 2019, what we now know in 2023, a few differences it looks like. Well, look, I mean, the fact of the matter is none of these documents were handed over to us. Our legal team never received documents from the House impeachment manager. So, of course, they're not obligated to in the sense of like in a courtroom. But when you have exculpatory documents, you would think that under just a good faith standard, the House of Representatives would have said, you know, here's what we've got. But of course they weren't going to do that because as soon as they did that, everyone knew their narrative was false. I mean, we knew it anyways, but it clearly was. Yeah. Jay, if you had had these documents, <laughs> would there have even been an impeachment? I mean, would Democrats have been successful in even uh, exploring impeachment if you had these documents, if Donald Trump had these documents, if these documents were public, no, if John the, Solomon had these documents? The truth, is, the truth is that the impeachment should not have happened with or without these documents. But with these documents, it just showed that the whole basis upon which the government was trying to prove its case, or the government here, it's really the House managers, as they were called, were trying to prove their case was based on a faulty premise. And, of course, Bob Mueller knew that in the Russia hoax, and I don't have any doubt that Adam Schiff knew this in the Ukraine matter as well. Yeah, that is really, you know, Jay, you, you've been such an accomplished lawyer in Washington across this country. You've argued before the Supreme Court. For most of your career, for most of my career as a journalist, there's been a role that we may disagree uh, after we hear the facts, but the facts are something we don't mess with. It's pretty clear now with Russia collusion, the Ukraine impeachment, and even things since then, that facts are being manipulated or, or, or even created out of whole cloth. How do we get this toothpaste back in the tube? How do we get back to the America where we all have one set of facts and then we can interpret them the way we want well i mean the fact the, the fact of the matter is you have actually have real facts and there's a shortage of that in the world in which we live in right now and, and i think if we're being honest with ourselves the fact is that there has to be i believe a acknowledgement that the attacks on the former president were manufactured at the start and they were done with the sole purpose to create a narrative that neither the government nor the House managers could ever prove. They were just hoping that the court of public opinion would go with it. Wow. Yeah, Jay, and I think you're speaking to something that a lot of Americans are starting to realize. Even even some Democrats, they see indictment after indictment, and then they see information like this that reveals that they were attacking President Trump baselessly, even when he was in office, even leading up to office. Uh, we are on the cusp of the election season officially commencing on Wednesday with the Republican debate. How do you think this is going to shift things for President Trump heading into next year? Well, I mean, look, they, 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 the, the biggest headwind the president has, which doesn't seem to be much of a headwind right now, is that he has four major indictments, uh, Georgia, Washington, D.C., New York, and Florida. So, I mean, legally, they're trying to do to him what they tried to do through impeachment and failed. And that was, 
uh, create enough questions in the mind of the American people that they just say, we can't deal with this anymore. Yeah, it is clearly a strategy, and it seems to be coordinated a little bit. Uh, Jay, I want to ask a little bit about where Republicans are in the Congress. Obviously, they're doing a good job turning up facts that we were denied back in 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Uh, and they're, they face some pretty big questions in the near future. One is, do they try to impeach President Biden for what went on with his son and the family business? Another one is how to convey all this information, which sometimes can be complicated, to the American people so that they know they weren't giving the true facts when they cast their vote in 2020. They didn't know everything about the man they ended up electing as president. What advice would you give them as a lawyer to help the American people understand the gravity of this? Well, I think we need to understand that for the first time in our history, you have a situation where the government is using its legal power to create political lawfare, to eliminate the leading candidate of the Republican Party against the Biden Department of Justice. So that's what's happened here. The American people need to understand it for what it is. Jay, it's, it's become, I think, indubitable that they are not only trying to damage President Trump, but anyone who offered any advice to him, any policy advisors, obviously his chief of staff, Mark Meadows, but even attorneys. How how scary is it that as if you're an attorney oh. out there and you want to support President Trump, even if you're an attorney helping out a state legislature with election integrity, that now this deep state, this weaponized federal government can now go after you? Well, criminalizing the practice of law is perhaps the most dangerous thing I have seen through this whole enterprise. The idea that you would go after the lawyers for advocating a legal position, even an aggressive legal position, should send shockwaves to every lawyer in Washington, D.C., and frankly, throughout the United States. They have criminalized and weaponized the legal system to criminalize the practice of law. And I think about lawyers that merely showed up at hearings. We have people like Jenna Ellis and some others that just showed up and didn't even say a word, and they've been indicted for RICO. Let that sink in for a minute. Yeah. No, it really is. And if you can't have legal representation, our system doesn't work, right? I know lots of lawyers that have turned down recent cases saying, I just don't want to take the chance of getting my bar license put in jeopardy if I represent someone that the establishment in my city disagrees with. Do you think there's an awakening moment that some in the profession realize, wow, we have tipped this bus way too far, we've got to fix it? Or do you think the Democrats are going to double down on this strategy heading into 2024? Well, they're going to double down on the strategy, but also I believe that lawyers throughout the country realize what's happened here. And that's why you're seeing some of the lawyers that have a more civil libertarian path. They may not be conservatives, they may not be Republicans, but they're very concerned about where this is going. Jay, we have seen a lot of uh, activism. Activist lawyers is something that has become synonymous with Democrats, folks like Mark Elias. But we're even seeing, um, we're we're just seeing it across the legal profession. For Republicans going into an election year, um, how effective is that? Well, I think the problem is going to be, and we touched on this earlier, is lawyers are going to be afraid to bring challenges. I mean, every election has had some type of challenges. Of course, the most famous would be Bush versus Gore. I mean, the, the idea that you would have risked your yeah. law license or perhaps been held in criminal liability for exercising a challenge to a vote vote count is outrageous. But it's what's happening now. And I think this weaponization of the legal system 
specifically targeting the lawyers is unbelievably dangerous. Yeah, uh, Alan Dershowitz said on this show, if he had, if these standards had been applied to him, he would have been arrested during the 2020 Bush v. Yeah. Gore uh, thing. I want to ask you real quickly, the courts. So we got about 30 seconds left, Jay. Where do you think the Supreme Court will play in this? Do, do they get involved in some of these cases? I don't think they get involved early on. I think ultimately there may be some questions, for instance, in Fulton County, uh, if the case does not go to the federal courts, I think there'll be a chance for the Supreme Court to weigh in on that. Uh, in a case I argued to the Supreme Court for President Trump, the court clearly said that the president and the federal officials in that capacity have the right to utilize federal courts in these kind of matters. So I do think there may be a chance early on, but it'll be more of the procedural matters, not the substantive ones. All right, so that was Jay Sekulow on with John Solomon and Amanda Head on the Just the News podcast. And John Solomon is an excellent reporter. Just the News is a wonderful outlet. And I would encourage uh, everyone to have that on your list of resources and news that you read. Um, but, but I think that Jay is absolutely right that this is an attempt to criminalize the practice of law. And uh, for those of you who uh, are aware that I have um, been included as one of the lawyers in this indictment out of Georgia, um, I will actually have to go to Atlanta and literally um, get arrested this week. And so um, this is a remarkable time in America's history. Um, my lawyers yesterday negotiated uh, a consent bond, which is um, $100,000. And uh, this is just incredible. And so uh, tomorrow, you are going to hear from our good friend, uh, Abraham Hamilton III, as he fills in for me uh, tomorrow morning. And I will uh, really appreciate his analysis. And I so appreciate the support and uh, prayers from everyone at our AFR family. Um, this is a critical moment um, in America's history and in our political history to see how a civil government, in my view, is uh, is acting well outside the scope of legitimate authority. And so many of our AFR listeners have asked how you can help. And uh, first, please pray for me for the Lord's protection, strength, and grace through this process that I would be found faithful to him. And if any of you want to reach out to me, and so many of you have, and thank you so much for your very kind emails, words of encouragement. My email here is jenna at afr.net. And I do have a legal defense fund available for anyone who would like to help with the exorbitant legal costs. Uh, this is very expensive. I'm not independently wealthy, and I'm very grateful for your support in any way that you can help. If you're interested, you can go to givesendgo.com forward slash support Jenna. That's givesendgo.com forward slash Jenna. So I just want to leave you with this that um, I am still continually resolved to trust the Lord in all of uh, the ways that he has continued to provide for me to lead uh, lead my life. And, um, and, and everything that we do as Christians should always be with a right response. And so as Proverbs 28, 1 says, the wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And we know that when we are living rightly, when we are living within the will of the Lord, that he gives us strength uh, to go through trials and persecutions of any type. And it's not just trials in a literal sense in a court of law, but anything that we face 
uh, in our daily lives. We have the strength that we can do all things, go through all things through Christ who strengthens us. And we have such a great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us that we can run our race with perseverance and endurance, looking to Jesus Christ as the author and finisher of our faith. I look to Christ as my champion, and I'm so grateful for God's people across the country. Thank you so much. And Abraham Hamilton III will join you tomorrow morning here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.